Hi, I'm Holly Knoll, host of the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. If you've always wanted to start a business and don't know where or how to start, you've come to the right place. After leaving an unfulfilling corporate career, I decided it was time to start a business of my own. Today, I'm a business coach and creator of The Consultant Code, where I help people start services-based businesses in 60 days or less. So grab your latte because you're about to be inspired, armed with knowledge, and given simple tools to start a business of your own from my interviews with Everyday Entrepreneurs. Hello, and welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast, episode number seven. Today, I'm with Adela Skolderman. She is a recruiter in the technology industry and also my friend. I am so excited to have her here today to share her knowledge around the recruiting industry, what it's like to be a recruiter for talented freelancers, and she is also going to give us some tips and tools as freelancers going into interviews and situations with recruiters on what to expect and how to succeed, ace your interviews, so on and so forth. But Adela hasn't always just been in recruiting. She's going to share us share with us her story. But she and I met a couple, probably like a year ago now, and we met for coffee in downtown San Francisco. I was looking for a freelancing gig. My previous one was about to end, and I was starting to reach out. And so I had had a lot of success working with recruiters of firms because they had access to other companies and clients that I myself in my own network didn't. So Adele and I met for coffee at Blue Bottle Coffee, again, right downtown San Francisco. We had a wonderful conversation. And to me, she really just stood out from other recruiters that I've met in the past. She brought a very personable approach. She was flying in from Seattle. She made time out of her day to come and meet with me. And she really genuinely seemed to care about who I was as a person, my skill sets, and my interests in finding my next gig. And so I really thought, just given all of the experience I've had talking with various recruiters throughout my career, she stood out as somebody that I wanted to get to know and really stay in touch with as another woman in tech and an overall just amazing person to network with in the industry. So with that, I will introduce everyone to Adela. Adela, welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast. Thank you. And thank you so much for the kind words. And I I can't believe it's been a a year. This this year has been (laughs) crazy. Maybe a year. I don't, maybe less. I I don't even remember because all the days run together these days. Uh Uh-huh. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us about your career and a little bit about your path and how did you get to where you are today? Well, funny enough, I uh, I wanted to be a I wanted to be a serial uh, college student. I didn't want to graduate, and it took me six and a half years to get my master or excuse me my my, my bachelor's degree. Uh, but one of my favorite classes was industrial organizational psychology and learning about how we could really improve the way that we work. It's fascinating. Uh, at the time. Uh, there, there wasn't change management or, or much process improvement. I, I wasn't ready to leave home. Uh, and so what I did instead was, was um, I decided to get a master's in human resource management, which kind of led to recruiting. Um, at the time when I entered the workforce, uh, recruiting was, was kind of all there was. And by the way, my first career was on an ambulance. I don't know if I told you that. I used to be a paramedic and volunteer firefighter. So I can know. But that what a natural <laughs> progression into into recruiting. Naturally. I think we all could have guessed that you drove an, did you drive an ambulance? Um yeah am, yes I, I drove the ambulance full time and uh and then I was a volunteer um with the fire department. And so uh wow. nothing ruffles my feathers. There there is no emergency in the workplace if if uh, someone's not <laughs> coding. <laughs> But yeah, I know what a real emergency is, people. Let's let's not get our you know all worked up. <laughs> it helps. It it really helps. Yeah. But I've been I've been doing this for 15 years now, and and um, honestly, I didn't love recruiting for a really long time. I really wanted to get back to the HR side. But uh, what happened was about uh, probably six or seven years ago, I started digging in and and um, reading about ways to improve uh, recruiting, and found the, tr- the 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 concept of candidate experience, which really spoke to me. Uh, I, I got, I actually won an award for my company at the time in candidate experience and forged a strong relationship with, with uh, Kevin Grossman, who's the president of a, a little nonprofit called the Talent Board, which is focused on elevating candidate experience across all organizations globally. 
And, um, and so I've been doing a lot of thought leadership with them, um, a lot of coaching um, of recruiters. Um, and over the past three years, uh, my uh, experience as a, as, a rec as a recruiting practitioner has actually been focused in the professional gig economy, which is how we got connected. Wonderful. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of what I want to ask you there, just as I think about people that are listening that are thinking about being freelancers or thinking about starting their own consulting business and having like various different types of experiences with recruiters. Naturally, I think as we, we start freelancing or consulting careers, it's natural to go tap into your network and reach out to people directly. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes leaders at companies are like, look, my hands are kind of tied. I need to, I need you to go through a different company in order to come into our company. And so, you know, I've definitely dealt with that and that kind of miss or that kind of redirection of working with like consulting firm or a, you know, who has their own recruiting arm while still right. being a freelancer has been something that I found really works for me. But I will say going just like, I love how you actually are coaching recruiters because I think there's a lot of opportunities there to improve the recruiting experience and having to been on the receiving side of some really not so great recruiting experiences. I would love to hear just like, as it, you know, if there's freelancers in the audience, how does somebody know they're working with somebody that's like, a good recruiter versus somebody that's just looking to put a butt in a seat and make their buck. Like, how do you know, like who's trustworthy, trustworthy and good versus somebody that's just like a numbers person doesn't really give a rip. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to speak very, very generally. So I, I I'm not going to be able to, there, there's probably someone I'm, I, I'm going to, well, hopefully, hopefully not offend, but um I mean, in, in general, I, th I think corporate recruiters um, are, are, are going to be a little bit tied by um, by their their company's um, goals and and um, what what needs to happen, and, and they're going to be uh, responsible for answering to the organization. And so, um, their job is is not necessarily to find a someone a job, but they're they're I mean, to, to find someone um, a position to find a candidate position. But their job is to support the company. Um, and uh, the company's growth goals and to find the right plant. Um, a lot of times it turns into kind of being a gatekeeper. Uh, and, and so there, and a lot of times there's a lot of process. A lot of times in corporate, in the corporate world, um, there's a lot of compliance um, and there's, there's more and more. I mean, before COVID happened, I mean, uh, I think, you know, we, we both know in California, there, there, um, California is a unique state, but, but there, were, uh, uh, there was a lot of uh, debate over employment law. And usually what happens in California does trickle to the rest of the states, uh, but definitely saw a big movement in, um, in, uh, in just uh, employment law, uh, kind of standardizing, um, I guess what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to say um, a, a big movement in employment law, um, I guess just, just a lot more conservative um, recruiting practices. And um, a lot of times when people are independent um, or when people work for a staffing firm, um, a traditional staffing firm, um, those individuals are uh, compensated. They're, they're contingent. And so they're compensated um, by commission um, or they're not paid unless they make a placement. And so sometimes that is able, you know, that sometimes that's what dictates the behavior of the individuals. And sometimes that's when you see in their outreach, kind of a, um, the, the more um, overt messages to, to get someone to talk. And, and during a 30 minute phone screen, it, it, it sounds a little bit like I'm going to date myself, but I used to watch like so Sesame Street. But when I was growing up, like in the early eighties, there was a character and I can't remember his name, but he'd wear a trench coat for obvious reasons. He's not on Sesame Street anymore, but he'd wear a trench coat and, and he was selling vowels, but he'd open it up and it'd be like, would you like to buy an O? And, and, uh, and uh, that's, I feel like sometimes in, in the, the recruiting world, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the vibe you get. It's a little bit smarmy and um, the deal. Yes. And, 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 and I mean, it's, it's just because they're hustling and, and they're, you know, like they're doing their job and, and uh, they're hustling, but it's not a fit for everyone. For some people, it's, it's cool. It's a perfect fit, but I've never gone down that path because I, I can't sell something unless I'm, I'm living it and, and, and believe in it and, uh, and, and probably I'm participating in it, which is why I've always kind of gone kind of this middle path. I and mean, I've always been um, either internal corporate, but, um, but also kind of tied to consulting somehow. I think it's just, you know, honestly, I think just follow your gut. I mean, I think if you talk to a, a recruiter and um, you, know, you, you don't feel great about the conversation, it's, a, it's okay to, to politely decline further 
uh, further conversations with them again. It's, it's okay to, to politely walk away and, and, and keep looking because there are good recruiters out there. And um, I think just keep talking and keep an open mind is, is, my, best, is my best advice. Yeah, I I love I love what you just said about keep talking. So oftentimes, I think um, we talked a little bit before we we started recording, but you brought up the term like recruiter baggage um, mm-hmm. or something something along that line. And I think yeah. that after somebody's been had a career for many years, we've all had these like not so great experiences, both because we didn't get hired, maybe because we didn't get hired for the job we really wanted, maybe because we never heard back on an opportunity we were really excited about, like that's all too common. And so I think just like, how, how would you say like, you know, especially in right now where finding a job is important, like I, I, how do you, how would you encourage people to continue to still the importance of still having the conversations to, even if a recruiter reaches out and you're like, look, I don't want to talk to any more recruiters. I have a job. I'm good. Or like what, I guess, um, why would you encourage somebody to keep having those conversations? I would love to, to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I think when we, you know, what's interesting is if you look at, uh, well, at least my behavior, and I, I think most people are this way, when we want to buy a car, we research it for a long time before we ever make a purchase, uh, even a pair of jeans. I mean, I've searched years until I found the perfect brand of jeans that I, that fit my shape and, and that I wear. I mean, it, it took me my entire yeah. adult life. And <laughs> but for jobs, when it, it seems like we don't engage into conversations for our next career move until we're until we want to do it, and and um, and so we're only looking at what's available in that moment in time, and it it might not be what's best for us ultimately. It's just it might just be what's best available yeah. at that moment, and um, and so it's it's a uh, I always encourage people. I mean, as hard as it is, and I know it, uh, I know it is, but but just keep an open mind and and, and treat every conversation with as much of a blank slate as you can. I mean, of course, keeping in mind um, that you've got to listen to your gut, like I just said. And if, if someone, if you're getting a weird feeling about someone because you think that they're just kind of going to hustle to, to make a placement, put you in a, put your butt in a seat and, and make a commission off of you, that, that's not, that might not serve you well. But, but, but keep an open mind and, and don't decline a conversation just because you might not be looking. Because right. on the other hand, what's happening, and I like to do my best to, I really like to try to, put everyone in the other person's shoes. I kind of like to try to translate between um, candidates and, and uh, job seekers and, and project seekers and then the hiring managers too, um, and recruiters. But um, one thing that, you know, like they call it a war for talent, which I hate that term, but I, I get it. I mean, everybody is, is um, challenged to find the best and the brightest, um, given that we're all trying to transform um, organizations with uh, technologies that are brand new and, and uh, there's limited knowledge of them. And, um, and everyone has limited resources. And, um, but one, one practice that's starting to happen on the recruiting side is evergreen recruiting. And so more and more sourcers or third party agencies are starting to reach out. I mean, they, they've always reached out on LinkedIn. I mean, they've always, if someone has a great profile, that person is probably inundated with um, with recruiter um, requests, but um, but those are for roles that already exist. Uh, but but these days, what's happening, and, and it's something that I've done. Uh, you have to do it right. Uh, but evergreen recruiting is is just reaching out for the the people that fit um, a series of personas that you're always looking for. Maybe it's the the type of talent you need the most, um, and and so they're always reaching out and trying to have conversations. So I can kind of put you in, in their kind of, you know, like their warm database. And so that when a, a role emerges, they can check in with you to see, hey, uh, remember we talked about this thing that you wanted to do? We've got an opportunity coming up. Uh, it starts in a couple months. What are, you, are you available? Do you want to talk about it? And so I, I just would encourage everybody just to just to keep an open mind and, and really listen to their gut, but, but try to have as many conversations as possible. I love that. I have never heard that term evergreen recruiting. And now that explains... Yeah. Um, you know, I've definitely had, I think with my program project management experience and background, I've definitely had conversations with recruiters and recruiters have reached out like, hey, you know, we want to build a relationship with you. There's not anything that we necessarily have available in this exact moment. But yeah. like you said, we want to put you in our warm database so that when something does pop up, we've already talked to you. We already know if we like you. We already know more about you because, and then we can like probably hopefully expedite 
you into a role that could be an amazing fit and maybe even better than what you're doing right now. And that's something, that's one of my philosophies just as a freelancer is always, always, always have the conversation. I always have the conversation. I mean, I guess if I were getting like a hundred emails a day with, from recruiters, which I'm not, um, then, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not feasible, but for the the ones that do reach out, of course, I'll go to their profile, like check them out. Are they legit? Is this a scam or inappropriate? You know, but you know, 10, 9.99 times out of 10, it's legit. And so I always have the conversation because I always learn something new about the industry or the market. Like what are the going rates for my type of role these days? It's a great way to find out what the going rate is Mm -hmm. at, at companies, at various types of companies. It's great to just increase your network and meet new, new recruiters that you might want to have relationships with or follow up down the line when your role or gig ends. And it's a great way to just learn more about what are the hot roles that are happening right now. Like 10 years ago, I'm, I doubt that people were recruiting for artificial intelligence and big data like they are today. So it's a great way to now understand like, is my skill set still in line with the industry demand? If not, where are the gaps and how do I fill that? So I think for those three reasons, like always, always, always have the conversation. And it's yeah. never, I've never felt like, well, that was a total waste of time because I've always learned something. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a really good point. Um, that the, it could be a barometer for learning how you need to retool or retrain yourself really quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and that gives you, that, that can give you a real competitive edge over, over everybody else who's vying for that role. So I think that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, I agree. Well, switching gears just a little bit, just in terms of like, so we kind of talked about the recruiting side. So let's talk about like the actual freelancers. So mm-hmm. you've obviously interviewed and talked to probably thousands of people in your career. <laughs> and when you think of like the candidates that have really stood out to you, how are there any attributes or characteristics that come to mind to, that as a freelancer, if they're interviewing for a role, how things to talk about or how to say things to, to stand out? Yeah, definitely. Above all else, and, and this kind of goes to what we just talked about with the evergreen recruiting. So I'm looking for people who fit certain personas and people who whose skill sets fit into certain buckets that I know are going to come up. But um, I, I need to have some sort of litmus test for that first conversation to know whether or not it's worth kind of continuing the conversation. And um, what I'm always looking for is, and uh, you and I have had this conversation before, and um, it's about the fact that these days um, we're running into some of these key skill sets like project management, program management, change management. Um, these, these really big, important skill sets um, are, are starting, business analysts, they're starting to get commoditized and, and, uh, and, and the, the, the titles of the roles themselves are getting diluted. And so if you have a, and I'll throw recruiter into that hat too. And so if you're looking at recruiter, uh, there's this whole spectrum. And on one end, a recruiter might be a person who just reviews resumes and just clicks buttons to push people on through the process and, um, and, and reads questions off of a piece of paper and, and then decides based on uh, a review with the hiring manager whether or not to send them a rejection email or whether they get to go on to the next step of just scheduling them a, an in-person interview. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have people, hopefully I'm up there somewhere, I, I, I like to think I am, but but someone who isn't, isn't uh, trying to be at the seat of, of, of the leadership table because they already are, because they, they know that what they do in talent acquisition impacts the bottom line because they're adding the talent that grows the business, that adds revenue. Uh, they have a strategic mindset and they understand multiple par- parts of the business. So they're not siloed in, in recruiting, but they actually understand how this person fits into the greater machine. And, um, and, and we see that sort of broad spectrum with, with the titles, business analyst, project manager, and, um, and so forth. Um, and so that's the first thing I look for is kind of where that person sort of fits. Is this person, I, I look for people that, that consider themselves to be consultants. And what I mean by consultant is, is different than what someone else may mean. Someone might be a, a career contractor and uh, go into roles and, and, uh, and they might've been a business analyst for 25 years and more power to them. I think that's, that's great. Um, but that's in, in management consulting, that's not necessarily what I am seeking. Um, I'm not seeking a business analyst to, to go in and, and uh, kind of kind of fill a spot for six months and um, take notes and and uh, like and on a 
I mean, yes, they've, they've got great skills in, in converting technical requirements and or the business vision into technical requirements and, and vice versa. But what I'm looking for is the person who has uh, the soft skills, the EQ and the social intelligence. Um, I'm looking for the person who can command a room. And so um, they've got great communication skills. I mean, if it's a, if it's a uh, video chat, uh, they're, making, they're making eye contact just like we are right now because they, they, they have that presence. Um, and that presence translates to being in front of a room, um, either physically or, or if there are 100 people watching them on video. Uh, I'm looking for someone who, if the software fails, they're not going to raise their hands and just say, it wasn't me, I did my part. Uh, but the person who can roll up their sleeves and, and dive in after that and just say, hey, come on, everybody, this is what we're going to do to fix this. It's okay. There's, there's a little bit of uh, uh, rallying the troops and, and it's not a, that's not me, that's not my job, but it's a just like, you know, come on, let's, let's do this. And, um, and I, I'm looking for the, the, the person who can read the room and, and sense when it's time to change the subject or sense when they've said enough or sense when they need to uh, change course. And, um, and it's, it's just those little things that you can really pick up on. Um, and I think above all, just uh, the entrepreneurial spirit. And um, I think what's even more important today, um, more than any other time, is as, as challenging as this environment is to find jobs, um, to, to secure projects, uh, to um, navigate our careers, um, it's, it's not going to serve us well to go in uh, to a, an employment conversation with a list of demands right off the bat. I think it's best, I mean, to know in your head what you want and what you're looking for, but I, I think it's really valuable just to, um, I mean, not waste people's time, but, but to try to find common ground. I, I mean, just treat it like any other relationship. And, um, and, and just approach it like, well, this is, this is what I want. I want to hear what they have to say, and, and maybe we can come together. And, um, and I say that because I, in the consulting space, I've always um, had conversations about where, where people are located, where can they work, if they've got to be in the office Monday through Thursday, where, where's that person going to be? Um, or or where, can, where can that person show up? And, um, and, and there are a lot of independents who do not want to go to an office. Now, before COVID, yeah. that was an issue. I mean, now, obviously, all of us are working remotely. But I also think that some uh, hiring managers out there in some companies are, are kind of holding on to that return to normal, that return to work, that returns to the office um, as, as a kind of a kind of like, it, it's almost like a uh, keeping them sane right now. I mean, it, it's sort of like a safety they're, they're, blanket, a security yeah. blanket. Yeah, it really is. And we all have them and, and they're allowed to have them too. And, mm-hmm. and um, but I think you know, our job is to recognize that's what they're doing. Um, and, and so we might just have to kind of like think about that for a little bit and think about the fact that they want my, they might want me to go to the office in, in 60 days. And, um, and can I do that? And, you know, like, and just, just actually think about it and talk about it. And there might be negotiation down the road when you know each other better. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to unpack there. I feel like that's like five different podcasts we could do right there because (laughs) I love what you said about what you look for in freelancers and quality people. I think when it comes to, I I think sometimes people get it really wrong and not understanding what recruiters want. And so one of the things I work with my clients is to, to determine like who is their ideal client. And just as you have your ideal candidate, right? Mm -hmm. And so one thing that I noticed that you said that was really interesting was like, it's all, everything you named off was, were EQ soft skills. So problem solving, you know, executive or leadership presence, a can-do attitude, um, Mm -hmm. thinking outside of the box and not once, which is where I think a lot of people go a little astray. Not once did you mention that they must have an MBA. They must have right. a P- PMP. They must have, you know, I know all of the accreditations and, yeah. and, you know, three letters after their names. And I think that, you know, a lot of people ask, have asked me in the past, how do you get into project management? And I never would say, because I don't personally believe or value this, I would never direct them to go get the PMP. Right. I agree. And it's yeah. because I just value life skills and mm-hmm. professional skills and emotional intelligence so much more than a certification. Now, could a project management, um, I forgot what the third, second P is for, but the project management certification, yeah. um, could, it, could it help you like yeah. just learn? Sure. But 
it's not necessarily mm-hmm. going to help you, I think, be a, a, a truly valuable asset on a team. And so right. I think that when um, freelancers are interviewing for, for gigs and especially early in their career is mm-hmm. focus on your soft skills. Like what problems did you solve? What, yeah. how are you different than other people you see doing your role? How can you tell your story in a way that Mm -hmm. is music to the recruiter's ears? Like, how can we make your job easy by saying what it is that we do, what it is that we're looking for, and and being as as kind of clear about that as possible. And so when you think about, um, like, I, I work with my clients a lot to to describe and to really carve out their what. So mm-hmm. when you are a recruiter and you're like, well, so tell me about yourself or like, where do you see freelancers making mistakes when it comes to talking about what it is they do? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm really quick. Sorry. I just want to say really, yeah. I totally agree with you about the PMP. I, I just want to say that really fast because yeah. I think, it, I think more than anything, it's, it was great in, in developing a global standard language for people to talk about projects and, and, and terms and, that's one of the things we're trying to work on in recruiting too, to create that. Mm. But, but it's not that it, it doesn't teach you how to um, take a, I mean, a, a, a abrasive you know, like sponsor aside and, and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like how to you know, like, like to interpret their, their body language or a, a, a short uh, text message that you got back from them and you're angsting about it all, you know, like little things like that, that are just um, you know, like getting buy-in from your team. Um, but uh, yeah, so back to your question. Um, let me start with the, the resume. Um, and uh, I think, first of all, I, I don't think resumes have any business being longer than three or four pages max. Mm-hmm. I struggle to shorten mine um, to less than three pages myself. But um, I, I see some, I mean, I've, I've had resumes that are 18 pages sometimes. No. And like, my gosh. <laughs> was are you, are you kidding? No. I'm oh my not. goodness. And, and um, it's, it's <laughs> hard because, you know, I, I put myself in the candidate's shoes and, and people have, um, I mean, it's, I get it. I mean, that's, that's our life's work. I mean, it's, it's yeah. incredibly personal and subjective and, and they, they have great experiences and they've worked hard and, and, um, and, but what they do sometimes is just continue to add on like reverse chronological, you know, so the, the newest is at the beginning, uh, but they're not turning off from the end and they're not tailoring it to a specific position. And um, as, as frustrating as that can be to have to do, it really is important because for any for any candidate, but I think that this is also a good thing for um, for for professional freelancers to understand is um, that recruiters look at a lot of resumes and and they're overwhelmed um, and they don't have a lot of time. And so I always tell people to spoon feed information to your recruiter and don't assume that they understand everything. And um, even when I've been working and I've been trying to fill roles, I can tell you sometimes I have literally three bullet points of what I'm looking for. Um, and it's, uh, we need a project manager and it's three bullet points of, of what this person is. And so I'm like, okay. And, and, and I've got to go and try to interpret what, what they're looking for and, um, and uh, it, it, I just, I don't have much to go on. And so as, as specific as people can be with me about what they've done and accomplished, um, it's, it's really helpful to be able to kind of make that immediate placement when I'm working with something that's kind of ambiguous. And, and I always tell people to use strong verbs too, to, to, to really um, use not words like monitor and, and maintain and um, coordinate, but, but things like mm. turned around um, implemented. I mean, just, just really strong verbs to like leadership really, driven words where it shows right. that they, they show, exemplified being a leader mm-hmm. with something. Yeah. Yeah. So to use those words to, um, to, to use in terms of um, dollars and time, um, what they've accomplished, what they've saved, what they've turned around. Um, and then uh, I, I tell people not to use an objective summary at the beginning of the resume. I think just having, not to use an objective, use a summary. That's what I should mm-hmm. say. The summary is, is important in real estate. It's at, the, it's at the very top of your resume. And sometimes people put, my objective is to get a job and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think, well, yeah, obviously. And um, <laughs> but use that with, with putting, I mean, that you know, um, Jira and Salesforce and Workday and all those, all those hot platforms and skill sets and technologies that people are, are looking for. So it's right in their face. And, um, oh gosh, I, I lost my train of thought. Will you please repeat your question? Cause I had a second part where I was going with that. Yeah. 
just how do, what is, what are like best practices when it comes to describing your what, like what it is you do, like what can yeah. make your job easy? Yeah. I think that the, the other thing too, is sometimes I ask people, uh, I, I think, honestly, I think it's listen to the questions they ask you, because sometimes I ask people like, well, tell me a little bit about what you're looking for. And then they go into sort of a, it feels like a very rehearsed um, <clears throat> sort of 10 minute soliloquy, a soliloquy about, about what they, about their, you know, like probably what they tell every recruiter and it's good information, but my first impression, honestly, is not like, wow, look at everything this person's accomplished. My first impression is this person didn't listen to what I asked them. And so I just, I mean, just, just a simple, you know, like just, uh, just, just really pay attention to, to what the question is and, and answer it correctly. But I think about the what is, is think about in terms of, of what you are qualified to do and what you have experience doing. Because if, uh, you know, if I wanted to turn around and, and um, go into um, I mean, my, my bicycle is behind me. If I wanted to go become a bike mechanic, I'm not qualified. I mean, I, I would love to be a bike mechanic, but I've never, I've never worked on, I mean, thankfully I'm married to a great bike mechanic, but, um, <laughs> I, I would have, to, I mean, I would, I, I have no business touching someone's bike. I mean, I, I would love to do it, but I would never apply to that role because I'm not qualified. And, and sometimes you know, people, they, they have their five-year plan or what they want to do next, but they, um, in, in the professional gig world, that's, that's not your next gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to kind of prove yourself and you can, you can get to that, that ideal gig. You can get to your five-year plan, but what you have to do is build trust with, um, with your network to, sh- to, I mean, first of all, um, doing what you're qualified to do, things that you can do with your eyes closed. Um, you know, Eric, you've been there, done that. They need to see you doing that. And so they have that confidence in you and then you build that relationship. And then from there, they will take that, that, they will take that leap um, on you and say, you know, who'd be really great at this? Holly would be awesome. Adela would be an awesome bike mechanic mm-hmm. um, because they know my <laughs> support, um, even though I've never touched a, you know, like a wrench to my brake pedals or whatever. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but yet with, when you're in the role already and you, it's a great time to take on those new things and to branch mm-hmm. out versus, I think what I'm hearing you say versus like, you know, building your whole career as like doing X and then for applying for a job where you do Y, like build the Y when you're in career X so that you have the story and the experience to tell when you apply for the next role. Um, So what, um, there's a lot of, you know, we, we read in the news kind of every day is like, you know, LinkedIn just laid off 500 people and you know, it's, it's a tough time right now and people are nervous and scared and, people are having their oh crap moments because what they imagined was the worst thing has happened. They got laid off or they got let go. And so if they're thinking about, you know, starting out as freelancers, I'm hearing Mm -hmm. a lot of people like, well, no, I need to go land something stable and I need to go just get another job. What, what would you say to, to people to help educate them on like what is actually happening happening in the freelance gig economy and why might this actually be a great time to consider a, a side hustle in it or um, pivoting to, to full-time freelancing gig? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think the, the first thing is when I, when I try to look for literature out there on the gig economy, usually what I get uh, is, is information on delivery drivers or Uber drivers. Yeah, I don't lift an Uber. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's one of the things I've kind of been trying to focus on is creating some content out there for, for professional freelancers to uh, kind of tap into. I mean, that's, that's been one of my areas. That's kind of one of my, my personal strategies, but let's talk. Is, Let, I, you know, I'd love you to share that. I would be happy to reshare. Yeah, absolutely. I am um, really passionate about it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talented people um, and, and, uh, I don't think the community is big enough. I mean, there's, there's not a big enough community of support. There's little pockets, but, but um, information out there is, is, uh, it's, it's, it's not always, um, it's not, it, you can't always get um, a standard piece of information. Um, but one thing I will say is that um, in the professional gig world, um, when people are, if, if you're looking at a contract, I mean, sometimes it's really scary to think about taking that leap. But I would say worst case scenario, you can make more than you can on unemployment. So I think for that reason alone, if, if you're looking for a role, I think that's something to consider. But um, the beauty of it is that you open up your network in so many ways. In, in, a, in a full-time role, a lot of times you, you go into this role and you might build something 
um, and be able to create it and, and participate in, in, in getting it bigger, but then you're also maintaining it. Um, and if you're someone like me who gets kind of itchy when it gets to that maintenance stage and you're just like, gee, and you start looking at other companies and, and what jobs are out there. Um, I mean, the gig world is the perfect place to be able to scratch that, what I call professional wanderlust. I mean, you can go from um, building a project here to building a project there and you turn it over to somebody else to maintain it. And, and so it's a, uh, you're working with um, such a diverse group of people um, in, in, in different industries. Um, you're, you're learning um, software, you're, you're seeing firsthand challenges that multiple companies have instead of just kind of being sideloaded within, within one organization, um, you're getting immediate skill sets that you can take pretty much kind of anywhere. Uh, the big thing, the biggest hurdle, I think, is just being able to know that you need to hit the ground running um, right away and show that you can add value in some way. And, um, and, and personal relationships um, are like just developing trust with someone um, is, is, is a really big first step to getting there, mm-hmm. um, as well as delivering on the project and, and uh, you know, backing up what you say you're going to do with, with deliverables. But, but just starting to talk to people and, and develop those relationships are key. And uh, also, uh, salary um, and rate conversations can be a little bit challenging. And so I always encourage people to do due diligence with um, reading about uh, W-2 contract employment, which is uh, essentially how everybody gets paid. Um, everybody being most full-time workers get get um, a W-2 at the end of the year, and a lot of contracts are built that same way. You are, um, you are you're paid, and, and when your contract ends, you're rolled off of their payroll. Um, and 1099 is the other option. Uh, 1099 uh, can either be individual 1099. Someone can um, do it with their social security number, or they can do it with their um, with their um, LLC, their their business license, essentially. Um, and, uh, and and there's pros and cons. There's there's not a there's not a right way to do it. There's not a best way. It really just depends on where people are. Um, sometimes people have to choose one or the other, um, and and so sometimes it's not ideal. But it, but it's I mean either way. Again, you're you're getting paid. You're getting new experiences, and you're you're building your network. And mm-hmm. um, and so just do your do your research. Yeah, and, and you're independent, and it, you know that's that is another podcast altogether. Is like, do I go 1099 or W two? Yeah. And for mm-hmm. me personally, I've always felt like 1099 has worked better for my situation. Although, like you said, there's pros and cons to each. I think that just when considering those two, it, it's important to be educated and it's important to, to know like your personal situation, find a good tax advisor that can help guide you. My, my tax advisors helped me help guide my decisions there. And in, in almost, I think every single freelancing gig I've done has been in the 1099 umbrella um, mm-hmm. or under that model. But just in terms of like, now and in, in it's COVID and there's, you know, there's un- instability and rest in some industries. Other industries are doing amazing. So right. is there, you know, what does, what does the life of freelancing look like now in a pandemic? And is there hope for freelancers to find awesome gigs out there? What do you think? I do. I think so. I mean, if, if before COVID happened, we knew that uh, I think in 2020, it was going to be something like a third of all jobs in the world were at least in the US. Now I can't remember the statistic because January of 2020 feels like about 10 years ago. <laughs> um, it was something like in 2020, we expected about a good third of, of all jobs. I'm going to just say in the US conservatively um, to be gig or to be freelance or to be um, oh. contract. Um, and that number grew. And, and that was, um, I mean, just a, you know, just a history in a nutshell. I mean, just uh, over the, the bull market of the past decade, um, we we had so many opportunities um, that that people took the opportunity to uh, to go independent, so they could have more control over where they worked, what they did, um, and and it, they, they really flourished. I mean, there was a lot of work out there, <laughs> and then um, and then COVID happened, and it paused everything except for um, what was essential. Uh, it paused pretty much um, all the the projects out there, and it really affected um, these. The professional gig workers a lot. I mean, we, we saw all sorts of projects get paused, sometimes paused so they could focus on something more emergent. So their contract wasn't ending. Um, their work didn't stop. They just completely pivoted to something else. Um, some contracts did end. Um, and then in other places, we saw even, uh, like, like to your point, even more um, opportunity. So it's definitely reshifting the world. Um, I mean, there are definitely economies, or not economies, there are definitely industries um, that, that aren't really going to bounce back anytime soon. We might, uh, we might say hospitality is in there. Um, airlines are suffering, um, unfortunately. 
but um, at the same time, um, there there is work out there, and there are all those projects that that companies were in the middle of doing, um, imperative projects um, to to transform their business to get them to the next level. Um, software of theirs that that isn't secure, or um, or, or legacy systems that were breaking, and, and they need to implement something new, um, or they they need to move a data center, or they need to secure their data. I mean, there, there's so many things that that couldn't stop for long that are coming back. Uh, and so um, definitely we're, we've seen a resurgence. Um, I mean, tech, technology, I, I think is never gonna stop, uh, but even in, in healthcare, we've, we've started to see um, opportunities come back, financial services, and interestingly in financial crimes um, space. And so kind of like this cool blend of, it's, it's not, I mean, it's financial services, but it's not traditional banking, but then technology in there too, um, kind of like mm. forensic. Uh, financial services has been really big. Um, the one thing that, the one uh, service area that I haven't really seen come back yet, but then I've been looking, so I'm curious what you think. I haven't seen, so so before there was a really big demand for change management, and I haven't really seen that come back. And I'm really curious if, if it's because um, maybe there, there isn't a need since the project stopped. And, and so now that the projects are going, maybe change management will come back in another four to six years, or six, sorry, four to six months, or if uh, it's like yeah. a luxury right now. Yeah. And for those those of you listening that may not be familiar with change management, change management, and Adela, feel free to <laughs> correct me. It's not my area of expertise, but they're essentially the people on the ground that are helping navigate an organization through a major change, whether it's an organizational change, a technology mm-hmm. change that affects everybody's jobs, but oftentimes they like help devise like what how do we get everyone up to speed? How do we get everyone operating from the same playbook? How do we like, how do mm-hmm. we make this change the least disruptive possible? I don't know. Am I describing yeah. that right? Yes. Communications, um, getting buy-in from, yeah, from everyone. So like, for example, if you implement uh, a new, like in my world, a new applicant tracking software, but all your recruiters were using Excel, how do you get them off Excel? And like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, how does your job change now that this change is happening? Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny you mentioned that because one of my good friends was actually let go from a major healthcare company and she was a change management mm-hmm. person. Right. And this was the second time in her career she's been let go from the same company mm-hmm. as a change management person. And and I and, and I, you know, I hope I don't offend people as well, but I feel like when it comes to the nuts and bolts of an organization and being able to keep the lights on, I think leaders believe in some organizations that perhaps change management isn't absolutely critical to keeping the lights on. And so that, in my experience, has been one of those uh, roles that I have also seen be the first to go in economic turmoil. Um, So whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. That's not my area of expertise, but I believe you know, I've heard that said, and I've, I've seen examples of that. So it, it's too bad, but yeah, that's, I don't know what the, the future is for that. One way that might be shifting is to look for people who are project and program leaders who have good change management skills. Mm-hmm. And so it's just integrated into the, into the yeah, role. It can be folded in through others. Well, Adela, this has been such a great talk. I think I would love, um, I think something that's been really helpful in my freelancing career, like I said in the beginning, is meeting people like you that can, when I've exhausted my personal network, you know, I don't want to be going to the same people all the time when a new role ends and be like, hey, I'm available again, or, you know, or or just as another outlet of, of you have, you know, people like you, recruiters like you have access to clients and roles that I may not be able to cobble together on my own in a relatively <laughs> short amount of time. Yeah. So if I, you know, as a freelancer and to anyone that's a freelancer out there looking to expand and find their dream clients with going above and beyond just tapping their network, how do people find you? And how do people find people like you that could open more doors for them? I think, well, first of all, definitely, um, I want to keep the conversation going with you and with, with anyone who's interested in, in chatting. And um, I am always open to networking. I think um, during this time when the world is evolving so rapidly, if we're not talking about it and learning from each other, I think that's the biggest thing I learned was with everything changing, um, the biggest source of information for me over the past four months was was from you and from others like you um, and people I could talk to and learn about, oh, this is what it's like in the Bay. This is what it's like in Portland. 
And, um, and so just, just keep talking, but I think the way to, so first of all, find me on, on LinkedIn and, and feel free to connect with me and send messages. And um, if I can't help people, what I can do is, is I can connect them with others in my network um, who may be able to, because um, I, I have a good network, especially on the West Coast um, in Chicago, um, randomly. But, um, and, uh, but I think also too, there, there are a lot of organizations out there that are, that are starting to get it, that are, that, that are, are pretty good reputable firms. And so, um, and so um, obviously Point B um, has expert velocity, which is an uh, amazing um, little business to um, connect to independent consultants with, with, um, with projects that, that Point B does when they don't have proper, the right people to staff. Um, but, but there are other organizations out there. I, I, I've ran into the ex-consultants network, I think a few times. Um, and those are former um, Accenture and Deloitte people who, who are now kind of in the same space. Um, RGP does it a little bit, but they specify, they're, they, they're specifically um, accounting and, and uh, more finance related roles. Um, I've been looking and I, I, I know someone who works at TopTal and uh, and I, it's it's an acronym. I, I think it just I think it's for top talent. But um, but again, um, they're they're connecting with professional um, freelancers and gig workers um, and placing them on projects. And I I believe that they're global. Um, and and awesome. so they're yeah. And um, if if you can't find organizations on Glassdoor, I think Glassdoor is kind of going downhill. What I would suggest is look up look them up on Comparably. Um, that's another good public review mm. site. Um, not all organizations might be on Comparably yet because it's pretty new, but I, but check it out um, because you can get um, good uh, reviews on the CEO um, on, on mm -hmm. issues like diversity and culture, things that are important. Mm -hmm. um, and just keep talking, just, just keep talking and ask people and, and uh, yeah. 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 I love the keeping, keeping the conversation going, um, asking people, does anyone need help with, and then insert your skill set, Even if it's just like helping people a few hours on the side here and there while you're looking for your full-time gig, mm -hmm. I think just having the conversation, you never know who you might be in front of or who you are in front of, but who might know somebody who's looking for someone like you. So it's been such a great conversation. Is there anything we didn't talk about today that you feel like would be really helpful for the audience when it comes to finding gigs and what people should know when they're looking at um, their next role or starting a freelancing business? I think just make sure um, to keep LinkedIn updated because um, as, as much as some people um, don't enjoy um, having a profile on LinkedIn. I think it really is the the first and best place where we can we can search for profiles, and so so try your best to keep it updated, and 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 maybe throw out a couple of articles or posts about what you're doing because that's what I've been doing, and I, I found out um, I actually kind of know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I feel like I've added I've added some value to people, and 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 my posts have helped me to connect, especially recently over diversity, and it's been a lot of fun. And so I suggest if people have you know an area of passion, just Throw, throw it out there. I mean, don't, don't be uh, too, you know, I would say don't be too controversial, but, but, but be thought-provoking and, um, and, and put it out there and you'll be surprised what you get back. You can really start amazing conversations and connect with great people. Yes. And you are so on point with that. You guys, I've looked at Adela's profile um, or I've just came across in my feed, like some of your posts and you have like 128, like reactions, which on LinkedIn is like 7 million on Instagram. Like that is huge. So you are reaching a lot of people and I've read your posts and they are interesting and thought provoking and they're also showcasing your knowledge and skills and talents. And so I think when it, when you have that kind of intersection, you're bound to start a good conversation and and I think LinkedIn can be, it's still so untapped and there's still so much organic reach on LinkedIn yeah. that you don't have to pay to play like you do on some right. of the other platforms like Facebook and Instagram that I think if you're a freelancer and you're not actively using LinkedIn, you're missing out on a huge opportunity. There's just so much to be, to learn there and to be exposed to and to share. So yeah, I could go agree. on and on about LinkedIn. I'm a huge fan, but yeah. So, um, you know, if people have questions on what to post on LinkedIn, I feel like you could be a good resource for them yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah. All okay. right. 
Well, on that note, I will share in the show notes um, how people can find you on LinkedIn. I will also include some of these resources, the TopTel and Comparably. Those are new things I haven't heard of. So I'll definitely share those in the show notes as well. And let's, like you said, let's keep this conversation going. Um, You guys reach out to Adela on LinkedIn. You can find her information in in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you everyone for listening. And Adela, let's keep talking. Thank you so much. Thanks. And there you have it, friends, my interview with Adela Skulderman. Adela, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for providing and shedding light on the recruiter's point of view when it comes to freelancing. That was so helpful to me to just get inside your head a little bit and understand what is going through a recruiter's mind when they interview a freelancer. Having been in this position many times before as a freelancer, being in front of recruiters, I've always wondered, like, what is it that I can exemplify and highlight within my skills and experience that will make me stand out among the sea of many? And so friends, you heard Adela's point of view on simple tips and tricks and tools that you can use to help yourself stand out from the next wave of of freelancers when you're in the interview process. I also loved how Adela shed light on leveraging recruiters when you are looking for a freelancing gig. Sure, we can go to our existing network and tap into people that we know personally, but oftentimes we get to that point where we may have exhausted that that network. And so Adela and reaching out and working with recruiters offers a different way to be exposed to a variety of roles and hiring managers that you may not find on your own. So again, Adela, thank you so much for being on the Everyday Entrepreneur. I will include the links on how you can find and connect with Adela after the show. And also go grab your freebies. You can find my freebies on hollynoll.com. You can grab your business action guide, which will help you start your business and solidify your business idea, as well as my checklist of my favorite seven tools that have helped me optimize and automate my business. So check those out. Those are free for you to grab again at hollynoll.com. And feel free to reach out to me via email, holly at hollynoll.com or find me on social at Holly Knoll. Thank you so much, friend, for being here. And if you enjoyed the the show, I would so love for you to leave us a kind review on iTunes. Until next time, I will see you soon. And until then, keep going, keep taking action. And thank you for listening to The Everyday Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for joining me this week on The Everyday Entrepreneur. There are thousands of podcasts out there and you chose to be here with me. And for that, I'm truly grateful to you. Make sure to stop on my website and you can subscribe there to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd love your rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would mean the world. Finally, check out my free guides to starting a business at hollynoll.com slash free and be sure to tune in two weeks from today for my next episode. Until next time, keep taking action to build your business.